we want to pray those things that are agreeable with the will of God, as uh, I believe it was John Bunyan used that phrase in his definition of prayer, which he probably borrowed from someone else as well. So we always pray as well in light of the scriptures. We don't just come and make petitions without any knowledge of the revealed will of God, but we want to pray those things we know to be the will of God from the scriptures. And therefore, we pray things, even when we think of the Lord's Prayer, we pray things that we know will take place because it is not only His moral will, but His sovereign will. Hallowed be your name. His name will be hallowed. Your kingdom come. It will come. It is here, but it will be consummated at the end of the ages. And so we pray those things that are agreeable with the revealed will of God in Scripture. Over the last several months, I have been addressing a subject during our corporate prayer time of Christian zeal or sacred zeal based on uh, the book by Joel Beakey uh, entitled Living Zealously. And I taught a Sunday school lesson back in February, and then since then we've been uh, addressing some of these subject matters on Christian zeal and, and sacred zeal from uh, the book and from the scriptures based on Romans 12, verse 11, that says, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And from Titus 2, verse 14, that says that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So during this time of corporate prayer in recent months, we have uh, considered the marks of Christian zeal. We've considered the motivations of Christian zeal. And last time we considered the regulation of Christian zeal. And this evening we will begin talking about the objects of Christian zeal. What things should we be zealous about And in his book, Joel Beakey speaks of really four main categories that we're going to cover, God willing, over our next four gatherings for corporate prayer, and then pray in light of these things. Four things that we should be zealous about. First of all, glorifying God. Secondly, growing in holiness. Thirdly, strengthening the saints. And fourthly, saving the lost. So glorifying God, we should be zealous for the glory of God. Secondly, growing in holiness, we should be zealous for our own sanctification. Thirdly, strengthening the saints, we should be therefore zealous for the church of Jesus Christ. And fourthly, saving the lost, we should be zealous for the proclamation of the gospel and making disciples. Now, we want to consider this evening glorifying God, a zealousness for the glory of God, and pray in light of these things. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, asks the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that you're probably familiar with is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We should be zealous for this chief, ultimate end for which we were created, the glory of God. And therefore, Jesus has taught us to pray 
hallowed be your name. So this evening, in light of these things, let me just give you six propositions, six statements about God, His worship, His glory, that should shape our thinking as we understand His glory biblically, and pray then, in light of that, that we would be growing in a holy, godly zeal for God's glory. The first statement is this. Everyone worships. Everyone worships. If you'll take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Everyone worships. The question is not if a person worships, but who or what a person worships. And we see this in Romans chapter 1. If Beginning in verse 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, not knowing Him savingly, but know that He exists, that there is a God from creation. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In this passage, the Apostle Paul speaks of the glory of the incorruptible God in verse 23. He speaks of the truth of God, the God who is blessed forever, who is forever to be praised. And in man's fallen state, so corrupt in his depravity. He takes that which he does know from God, even from creation, and he suppresses it. He denies it. And he exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for not no worship, but for worshiping things like four-footed animals and images of of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In depravity, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship. Notice that Paul says here they worship. It's not that they do not worship, but they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so every person is a worshiper. If they do not worship the true and living God, they still worship. They just worship something or someone else. So every person worships something, someone, sometimes a number of things or persons. And at the root of sin is often misplaced worship. 
Rather than worshiping God, a person worships something or someone else. We're familiar with the the common verse we use in evangelism in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, what does that mean? You've heard me often say that, that sin there is described as falling short of the glory of God. We fall short of reflecting the glory of God in our sinful state as we were created to do. We fall short of loving the glory of God and valuing the glory of God and living for the glory of God. And all this is at the essence of sin. Fallen and sinful people worship something and someone other than God. They worship themselves, money, even fame, sometimes their children, a spouse, another person. We bow before sinful pleasures, the things of this world. They're endless idols of the heart. Everyone worships. And unless we worship the true and living God, that worship obviously is misplaced and misdirected. So, everyone worships. That's the first statement. Secondly, God... <coughs> is to be the sole object of worship. God and God alone should be worshipped. He is the sole object of worship. In verse 25 of the passage I just read, it describes God the Creator in this way, who is blessed forever. And the word blessed means worthy of praise. That he is worthy to be blessed and praised and worshipped forever and ever. And that's why the first commandment is, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, then it goes on to say, or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water or under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's zealous for the worship of His name, for His own glory, because God is to be the sole object of worship. Referring back to the Old Testament passages of Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, and Exodus 20, verses 3 to 5, Jesus said Himself in Matthew 4, verse 10, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul in this doxology says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to Him, and the emphasis is, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Worship is to be reserved for God and God alone. And therefore we have that, one of the solas of the Reformation, soli deo gloria, to, to, the, to the glory of God alone. He alone is to be worshipped, for He is the Creator. And in Romans 1, again, that's the foundation of it. He's the eternal God who created all things for His glory. Only the Creator is worthy of worship. 
because He alone is God. He is the glorious God. He is the God of glory. And when we speak of the God of glory, we're speaking of the glory of His being. When the Bible speaks of the glory of God, it's a reference to the glory of who He is, His being, His essence. God is glorious. The word glory is comes from the Hebrew word kavod, which literally means something is heavy and weighty, but then in figurative terms we speak of the gravity, the magnitude, the greatness of something. So when we think of God and who He is, we say that's something that's weighty. We think of the magnitude of who God is and speak of the glory of His being. This is not glory that's given to him. This is glory that he possesses because of who he is. It is essential to his person. God did not, does not gain glory. He is glorious. He's the fullness of good, the fullness of love, the fullness of mercy and grace. He is the fullness of holiness and justice and righteousness. He has full knowledge. He has full wisdom. He has full power. And he has all these things infinitely. He's all these things in himself. He's not dependent on someone else for these things. And he's all these things unchangeably and immutably. He's all these things forever and ever. Always has been and always will be these things. For he alone is God. And he possesses all these things perfectly, fully, eternally. And because of this, He is the God of glory who alone is to be worshipped. So God alone is to be the object of our worship. The third statement is this. The purpose of God in all things, all that He decrees is His own glory. The purpose of God in all that He decrees is His own glory. Everything that God does is for His own glory. Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Isaiah 48, verse 11, For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. God created us for His own glory. Isaiah 42 verse 7 speaks of everyone whom I have created for my glory, God says. Why did God save the Israelites from Egyptian slavery? Psalm 106 verse 8, He saved them for the sake of His name that He might make His power known. Why has God chosen to save the Gentiles? Romans 15 verse 9. I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. That that the Son would glorify the Father and the redemption of Gentiles. Why did God predestine us to adoption through Jesus Christ? Ephesians 1 verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Why does God forgive sin? Psalm 25 verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity for it is great. For His name's sake. He does so. Why does God lead us in paths of righteousness? Psalm 23, verse 3. For His name's sake. Why does Jesus return one day for His saints? 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. 
It says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. God does all things for his glory. And nothing will change your perspective on the Christian life more than understanding the glory of God and God's own zeal for his own glory. It will take our eyes off of ourselves and put them where they belong on God. You'll begin to see your family as being for God's glory. Your job will be for God's glory. Your marriage will be for God's glory. Your schooling will be for God's glory. Your relationships will be for God's glory. Everything for the glory of God. For God does all things to the glory of His name. The church exists for God's glory. It will change the way a church functions and does ministry when we understand this. It will make Christians and churches God-centered and not man-centered. The purpose of God in all that He sovereignly decrees is His own glory. Fourth statement. Again, these are all very closely related. But fourthly, all things exist for the glory of God. In light of all this, all things exist for the glory of God. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or authorities. All things have been created through Him, and here's what Colossians 1.16 says, and for Him. All things have been created ultimately for His glory. Therefore, the Apostle Paul wrote, To Him be glory forever and ever, all men. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. The heavens declare the glory of God. Everything is called to praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All things exist for the glory of God. But again, remember... And when the things that have been created for His glory give Him the glory, it does not add to His glorious character and being. It doesn't make Him more glorious. Worship, giving glory to God, is simply the fitting response because of who He is. He is the God of all glory, who therefore is worthy of glory, praise, and honor from all that He has created. The fifth statement is this. God's plan of redemption is for His own glory. God's plan of redemption is for His own glory. God has decreed our redemption, the redemption of sinners, the redemption of His elect, to the praise of His glory. That's repeated three times in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 7, He saves us so that In the ages to come, throughout all eternity, he might show, put on display the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It will be an eternal display of his goodness for all the ages to come. You and I have been saved that we might join God in glorifying God. You and I have been saved that we might adore the beauty of God, that we might exalt the majesty of God, that we might, for all eternity, show the surpassing riches 
of his mercy in Christ. Salvation is not ultimately about us. It's about the glory of God. God's plan of redemption is for his own glory. The last statement is this. When a sinner is saved by the grace of God, he has a desire for God to be glorified. And that desire must be cultivated and increased. When a sinner is saved by the grace of God, he does have a desire. God implants in the redeemed sinner a desire for for God to be glorified. But then that desire must be cultivated and it must be increased. We must grow in our zeal for God's glory. And that's why we're directed to pray again. Hallowed be your name. That's why the scripture says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are to be saturated with God's glory. And so that's what I want us to pray this evening. As we've been talking about living zealously and understanding the marks of Christian zeal, the motivations and the regulations of Christian zeal, then for what should we be zealous First and foremost, the glory of our God, who is in his very essence and being glorious, the one who is blessed forever and ever. Amen.